Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It smells like popcorn in here. Do you smell that? It's like super strong. <laughs> Yum. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to us, we want to welcome you to another episode of Awesome Etiquette. Our podcast comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Dan, <laughs> you want to... You want to start off today with a little confessional? I do want to start off today with a little confessional. And today's introduction really uh, is an extension of last week's introduction where we were talking about following our own advice. And uh, you offered some some very insightful reflections on following our own advice in terms of having difficult conversations and facing that moment. Is that the truth, Dan? Is that the truth? It's it's or maybe ninety nine point nine percent of the truth. Just maybe are these all white lies? <laughs> Well, not so likely. <laughs> <laughs> not so likely, especially because my cousin Daniel actually is one of the few people I can know and trust to never tell a white lie. I appreciate the compliment. And I'm going to say the never isn't exactly entirely 100% the truth. Because to say <laughs> that I absolutely never lie wouldn't be entirely true. So but I do look <laughs> fat in these jeans. What no, I will kidding. say, what I will say is that I notice every time it happens. Yeah, I notice very aware of it. Whenever I start to play even a little loose with the like truth. Stretch the truth a little. Like it was three days I was sick, not actually the two that it was. Or I'm sorry I'm a little late picking you up tonight. I got a call from my cousin Lizzie just as I was leaving the office <laughs> and it delayed me a little bit when really I went back to my desk and watched another Patriot Super Bowl video before I <gasps> Pooch, left the you office. you just got the truth on the <laughs> podcast. It wasn't um, my fault. You blame me. I was the dog. But oh that's my the thing. gosh. I was, I was thinking kidding. about using that excuse and I was saying to myself I really can't. It, it wasn't Especially the reason. Especially because I'm planning on talking about I'm how late. I don't use white lies on the podcast tomorrow. <laughs> so I want to take every Everybody back in time. I want to go back in time about 10 years to when I was very first starting to work for the Emily Post Institute. And I was living in California. And at the time, we used to answer questions that we received via email individually at the Institute. And Lizzie and I both cut our teeth at the Institute as part of Emily's army, answering questions that were sent in via email. Actually, it was a fantastic way. We were able to learn so much of the etiquette that we teach and the classic questions. And you also, you were actually editing other people's answers to questions as well. And it really gave us, I think, the voice that we have today. And what many of you write in about that gentle tone or that, 
you know, thinking of everyone involved. That came from this process. Absolutely. It was an email, a one-on-one email version of this show that we're doing now. People would send in etiquette questions and we would give them Emily Post answers. Um, And it was incredibly (laughs) time-consuming and and did not turn out to be beneficial to our company in the long run. And so we wound up having to change how we did that. And this is one of the reasons the podcast evolved. Absolutely. And I I would invite people to visit our question and answer blog, the Etiquette Daily, Daily, at etiquettedaily.com, where we, we continue that written discourse and dialogue. Back to the story at hand. When you're first learning to answer those questions, there's a a framework that you learn um, at the Emily Post Institute. If there's a manners answer, if someone wants to know about uh, which words appear on which lines of a wedding invitation, there's a book. There's a reference you can go and look at. If someone asks a question about a difficult relationship situation, we base our answers on a framework um, that's a a principles, a values-based framework. uh, And we use consideration, respect, and honesty as our, our core principles. We're answering difficult situation questions. And I found myself so often giving people the advice to be honest that I I had to do a little personal reflection, a little um, self-assessment. And the truth was that I was a little white liar. I would tell little white lies. I won't say all the time, but not infrequently. And most often they were embellishments and exaggerations designed to make other people look good or myself look good or a story more interesting. They were, to my mind, harmless. No harm, no foul. Didn't give a second thought to doing it until I started giving this advice all the time. And I made a commitment when I started working full time at Emily Post to not lie and to to be really careful with how I use my words. And it has been a transformative experience. It's really been quite remarkable and liberating and freeing. And I find myself in my personal relationships now when people ask me difficult questions Oftentimes, the answer is the answer that lets you be truthful. (laughs) The answer that I end up wanting to give that's the good advice about how to handle a situation is, is that really how you feel? Is that honest? Is that that the truth? And so often that gets you there. And I've been thinking about this particularly the last couple weeks with uh, the trouble that nightly news anchor Ryan Williams has gotten himself into about his time in Iraq and whether or not he came under live fire or not. And he had told some stories about that and it's since come out that that isn't true, that he was not really in those live fire situations. And he since apologized and has me thinking a lot about um, the consequences for not telling the truth and what is a harmless lie and what isn't a harmless lie. And it's, it's being played out in, in such a dramatic fashion on, on such a public stage right now. I've been thinking a lot about honesty and how honesty serves us and, and how it impacts our reputation in all kinds of ways. So as we were thinking about following our own advice, um, I'm, I'm recommitting myself to, to telling the truth this week. And I want to invite our listeners both to, to go back and take a listen to our very first podcast where, where Lizzie and I talk about that framework for Consideration, the, the way that we uh, approach and answer etiquette questions. It, it really was satisfying for me to get that framework presented in that very yeah. first episode. And um, so I'm taking a little moment to think about that, to remember those principles and to recommit myself. And And I wish Brian well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is such a natural and human tendency and, and we it all really fall prey to it. And, and I know we do. And it's why yeah. I say I don't never lie, but it really is. It's 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 a natural human tendency, and I think it's important to, to keep reflecting on it. I think it's always interesting mm-hmm. when you decide to hold yourself accountable, you know, and, and you hold yourself accountable to what really happened and just the the ease that comes with that. You The things you no longer have to remember 
if you always tell the truth. If you always tell the truth, then your story is your story. And there is no, I've got to remember that I told that person I was doing this at that time when really I wasn't. None of that BS falls into your life because you're simply telling the truth. And I've found over the years, especially during my 20s, you know, when you you kind of are, are learning that people are more forgiving than you'd expect. Yeah. That, um, you know, missing that alarm in the morning or needing to take a personal day or something that you don't have to lie and say you were sick or the power went out at your house or, <laughs> you know, you just don't need some big excuse. Yeah. And, and, you know, they do always say that there's a big difference between a reason and an excuse. Um and, and maybe I think a of lot of it lies in the truth and uh, yeah. or li- lies in the truth. I never was able to figure out that one grammatically. But it's it is it is interesting how there is a slight weight that gets lifted from your own life when you decide to really live a, a very truthful life. And and I think from that uh, from a perspective of someone who plays fast and loose with the truth, it can feel like a limitation. Yeah. To have to stick to the truth. And oh, at, this, totally. at the same time, there's a liberation there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, just thought I'd share that in the spirit of reflecting on following our own advice. Shall we get to some questions? I think we should get to some questions. <laughs> All right. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. So let's get started. Number one, I love it because this combines um, tradition and like new new age wedding stuff. I'll take this one. I was facing it very recently. Were you? Yeah. Okay. When making your wedding website, do you put the information for the rehearsal dinner on the website as not everyone going to the wedding goes to the rehearsal dinner? Thanks, Peggy. Hi, Peggy. You're talking to someone who spent a couple days in this last week working on his wedding website, and I was asking myself the exact same question. And Um, your answer was? No. If not everybody is going, it does not go on the website. And that can be a a good general guideline to give yourself when you're thinking about what information to put up there. It's the general wedding website. That's for the general audience. You don't want to be talking about exclusive parties or events there. Um, You're better off spreading that word via word of mouth. In, well, and via the invitation that you send to the people who are coming to the rehearsal dinner. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. No. Didn't mean to cut in there. <laughs> I appreciate it. And um, in my particular case, the rehearsal dinner is also the sangi, which is um, a party thrown by the bride's family that involves song and dance and a night of performance put on for the bride and groom by their assembled families. And just about everybody who's invited to our wedding is invited. In fact, not just about sangi. everybody, everybody who's invited is. to the it's wedding. A, it's a two-night event, basically. It, it really is. So we get to put it on our website because and get everybody invited. invited. So it's not that you're not allowed to invite people to other parties and events associated with the wedding. You just want to be sure that everybody is invited. You know, I've been debating about whether I'm going to sing a song for you guys at the Sangi. I really hope you do. I kind of hope I do too, but I'm really nervous about it. I haven't performed anything in front of people in a long time. I really hope Cousin Pete reads a poem. I hope he does too. I think he's really, he's been into poetry for a while now, and I think it would be really wonderful to have him read something. But we shall see. So good luck with the planning, good luck with the website, and um, have a great rehearsal dinner. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. 
Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. So our next question is a really hard one, and I'm going to serve it up for and Cousin Lizzie. In the spirit of not telling white lies, Dan and I would like to preface this for uh, Mary or, or Mari. I don't want to mispronounce your name. Um, we we are actually a little unsure of, of our answer. Not mm -hmm. that the advice is wrong, just that we're unsure if it'll wind up being helpful to you. Y you have stumped the panel, and we want to put this question back out to listeners out there. That we tough. are really curious your we thoughts about opinions. this particular question. All right, let's hear it, Dan. This question begins, help! We have some neighbors who do work on their property that involves hammering, sawing, sanding, driving loud vehicles, talking loudly, and tossing lumber around at night. Last night was a full moon, and they worked until dawn. Oh my gosh. Do you have any ideas on how to address this problem without becoming targets of revenge of some sort? We live rurally, and there is only one home that might be affected besides ours, and it is currently empty, although I have heard a rumor that it might be an escrow. Thank you very much, Mary. Or Mari. I or Mari. M-A-R-I. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, wow. This is so tough because your property, your choice to do what you do on it, you're also in a rural community. There are no sound noise ordinances like community there are in, in our town. Community organization, condo association. Exactly. Um, this, is, this is why a lot of people live in the country so that they can – do Have things some whenever privacy, they want. Some latitude, yeah, exactly. some freedom. <laughs> exactly. And this is one of those things where um, it's really hard. My way of looking at a problem like this is to tackle it um, from the I need to find out information so that I can best handle it for myself. You, you aren't going to tell this person to stop building or hammering or sawing or doing whatever it is that they are doing. 
I do kind of love the visual I get with talking loudly and tossing lumber around. I just picture these like and driving loud like, vehicles, big chunky <laughs> men throwing logs at each other, like four wheelers. It's like a Disney theme cars, song that's yeah. starting to happen. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's. I would tackle this by by going over. And rather than complaining and saying, you guys kept me up all night, this is really rude behavior, This is, rather than going on the attack, yes. I would go from the, the route of seeking information so that I can handle it my own way. So I might go over and say, hey, you know, I just wanted to introduce myself because you might not have done that yet in the mm-hmm. country. Sometimes you don't actually meet your neighbors That's for a, good a very point. long time. Uh, you know, I've noticed you guys are doing a lot of work. I just wanted to find out how, what, you know, what the project was, how long you were thinking of doing it. I've Mm -hmm. noticed you've been working at night and I just wanted to kind of find out how long we could expect this to be going on so that I can either, you know, go, go stay in a hotel for a couple nights or arrange my schedule so that I can, I can sleep when you guys aren't working, uh, because this is something that I don't think, like you said, you don't want revenge of some sort. You don't want ill will. And so yeah. the best way to do that is to think, okay, you're doing this and I can't change that. So how can I make it better for me just by knowing more about the project, how long it's going to go, what hours you're going to work on. When you come at it from that and with a very sincere and genuine tone. I like if you're, the way you're taking this question. Yeah, because yeah. if you did say – well, I really want to know how long this project of yours is going to last. That's not going to cut it. It's, you know, I think it's great you guys are doing work and getting things done. And I just wanted to find out how long it was going to go on so that I could either get a really good sleeping medication ah, or... Double pane windows, the bedroom on the other side of the house. If, if this happens every full moon... <laughs> something, I don't know good. what... <laughs> lumberjacks that work by the full moon. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But find a way to very pleasantly inquire about the project and the duration of the project. Yeah. And I hate telling you things like, you know, you should go get a hotel room to sleep in or go stay at, you know, a relative or another neighbor's house further away. But sometimes these are the best ways to control a situation rather than going on the attack and making someone feel bad because guarantee there's going to be something you do in the future that's going to affect them and you'll want that same courtesy and I would have hoped that your neighbor would have done the nice thing and come to you with this information to start let them know they were let, let, let you know that they were planning on late nights but if they haven't done this. So instead, politely inquire for that information. And I really think that's the best thing you could do. There, there are several parts of your advice that I thought really made a lot of sense. One was, what's the status of the relationship? Have you just gone on over and introduced yourself? Have yeah. you and, – and, and I would think a lot of the response would depend on what the status of that relationship is. I like the way you talked about um, doing things that are in your control. And looking for places where you have some control, whether that's removing yourself from the situation, whether that's taking whatever action you can take. There's an old expression, sometimes um, fences make the best neighbors. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go there right away, but sometimes there isn't a lot you can do. Sometimes if it's a difficult neighbor or a neighbor you don't want to get closer to to help sort of get deeper in to solve the problem, sometimes about figuring out where those boundaries are. And whether you're going to be friends with them or not, I think that process of getting to know them, 
introducing yourself, some sort of inquiry investigation, but also thinking about what you can control in the situation and being really realistic and realistic with yourself about that being the reality. Um, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, even oh, if you no, don't, don't like them. Oh, that. That's such B. I'm sorry. I'm going to call you out on that. I think that's such BS. You don't keep your enemies closer. But just simply don't don't again, I'm going back mm-hmm. to two negatives. Don't make a positive like be the positive person, even if they if, even if they are choosing not to I be like They're that. They're not doing the considerate thing. They haven't done the considerate thing. But you go play the considerate role for both of you and Brilliant. walk the high road. Brilliant. You know, yeah. Like <laughs> and they don't have to be enemies. They're not you don't even know that they're enemies yet. Good point. <laughs> Sco- properly scolded, slapped on the wrist. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you. These people are already sleep deprived. They're annoyed. They're, I mean, I would be if I was her. And so it's like I want to I want to give her the advice to stop those emotions right in the beginning and instead think of this as someone that you can you can be friends with first, mm-hmm. that you can make that friendship relationship if you haven't done that already. Don't automatically make them enemies just because they made no. the mistake from the beginning. And, and whatever direction the relationship takes from that point forward, you're in better standing and it's going to be better no matter what it is, even yeah. if it doesn't. blossom into a beautiful friendship even if these turn out to be the most difficult neighbors you've ever faced no and picture these neighbors when you come over are probably going to be like oh Oh, and you know the four letter words that are forming (laughs) over my head but like it's they're probably going to think that and instead you're going to surprise them by being the person who's like hey just wanted to find out about this and oh no 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 don't worry about it we'll find a way around it but you know, eventually, if they're doing this months on end, that's when you can start saying, hey, Jim, you know, this is OK. This is starting to be something that's making mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a difficulty in our lives. And we're wondering if there's some agreement we could come to so that, you know, we're getting some sleep and you're getting your work done. Mary, we hope that that helps and good luck. And please, we want an update on this. And we do want to hear mm-hmm. our other listeners' views on how to handle this or if you've handled a situation like this before, because this is definitely super Difficult etiquette territory. Last week we were talking about uh, an etiquette salute for good neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Your thoughts on dealing with difficult neighbors would be much appreciated. Our next question is is definitely one that we have heard before, and I'm actually gleefully glad to answer it. As I have a lot of friends getting married and having babies right now, I go to a lot of showers. Something my mom and I have both noticed lately is that the hostess will set up a table with envelopes and pens and ask the guests to address their own thank you notes before they leave. We both think this is a little tacky. Something about it just makes me cringe. Am I being overly critical and should just be thankful a thank you note will be written? Or is this impolite to ask of your guests? Sincerely, Curious Guest. Curious Guest. I'm going to venture that you're not being overly critical here. Um, This is definitely a a bit impolite, and it happens. Yeah, it is impolite. not the first time we've seen this question, and we we advise against it. We don't think it's a good idea to have guests do the work of writing themselves a thank you note. (laughs) And that's that's not exactly what's happening, but the addressing of it to try and make it easier on the bride or the mother-to-be. You know, my guess is that you really do have time to sit down and write some thank you notes for the people that took the time to go 
out, buy you a gift, wrap it nicely, and attend a party in your honor. The advice I'd give to someone who wants to be sure they get addresses right is appoint someone, probably one of the party organizers, to circulate and double check or confirm people's addresses before they leave. Have a little list that you keep yourself, but just don't ask guests to do it for you. I think so. And also, you know, this is this usually comes from a place of good intentions. Mm-hmm. The hostess is usually thinking of a way to make it easier on the honoree because they are at this difficult time. But yep. this is this is what we call etiquette overkill. You're actually creating an uncomfortable situation or a rude situation for other people because you're trying to make it better for this one involved. So we go back to saying, think about all the people involved. And when it comes down to it, it really is not a huge burden of time to address 15 or so envelopes. Well, it's nice to have a concrete answer. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> On a real question of etiquette. And we do know that at your own showers, you will not be asking your guests <laughs> to pre-address their envelopes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We seem to have gotten a lot of wedding questions recently. (laughs) Our next one is another wedding question. Our listener wants to know... As the spring approaches, (laughs) I am the bride's stepmom, and I'm trying to find out who should walk me down the aisle. Thank you. Um, To the stepmom, I I hate to say it so bluntly, but traditionally, you're not a part of the processional, so nobody really walks you down the aisle the way that the groomsmen walk the bridesmaids down the aisle. Um, Instead, what usually happens is that you are escorted to your seat before the processional begins by someone. And there is there is no pomp or circumstance. It's not something everybody watches you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may just be don't be surprised that it may happen while other people are being seated and there's other things going on. But typically or traditionally, what does happen is that the groom's mother is seated and then the bride's mother is seated. And when you have step-parents involved, what they do is they have the stepmother of the groom is seated, and then the mother of the groom is seated, and then the stepmother of the bride is seated, and the mother of the bride is then seated. And usually when someone escort, if, if someone is going to escort you to your seat, that will happen by a close family member on your side of the family, or mm-hmm. one of the groomsmen will do that, or one of the ushers. Some people may have a, a mother or a stepmother you know, walk down the aisle in the processional. I'm, I'm thinking right now of the movie Father of the Bride, but typically that happens more um, more in those movies. The traditional processional doesn't usually have the mother 
in it. It's sort of nice. It, it starts to draw attention to the, the to event the people that, are taking in the their space and, and that sort of and thing. And you see the the, the yeah. honored grandmother <laughs> escorted yeah. in by a favorite uncle. And this does open up sort of a bigger question as to um, step family members being involved in weddings. And I just really want to say that um, every family is different and every connection to a, a step parent or a step sibling is is different. And you really want to um, honor the relationship that you have and, and respect the relationship that you have within your own family. Um, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's just something that this is a really important day and you may be a very big part of it or you may be a very small part of it depending on how long you've been with the family and how close you are with the couple. There is just one other thing I want to add to this to this answer about, um, and it's not just about step relatives when it comes to a wedding. You know, obviously, uh, step relatives, some have wonderful relations, some have more difficult relations. It all depends on the family and how this family has come together. But in general, families have sometimes uh, difficult ties to each other and, and sometimes wonderfully strong bonds. But when it comes to a wedding, it is very easy for relatives around the couple, you know, step or non-step, to wind up trying to use the wedding as a way to build a bridge, make known how how close they wish to be or how close they are. And I really just want people to remember that when it comes to a wedding, it is about the two people getting married and to really keep the focus on those two people and what they would like. Uh, You may have grand ideas about giving a, a, a really heartfelt speech And the bride and groom may not want speeches at their wedding. Um, You know, you may want to be standing up there beside them very proudly, and they may have decided to only have one or two bridesmaids and groomsmen standing next to them, and you aren't one of them. And I just really, really ask people to always respect the wishes of the couple and understand that you can find other ways within the wedding planning process and within supporting the couple. And, And sometimes simply just doing what they ask is actually the best way to build that relationship. So whatever it is that the bride and groom are asking for, if you support that, that is the best way to support them during their wedding. I think that's really beautifully said. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) We hope that that helps you understand where and when you will be seated at the wedding. (laughs) So this, this question starts, and Dan and I are both chuckling a bit, Dear Emily Post, and we always get a kick out of it because when we did a family brand survey about 25 years ago, it it's stated that most people think Emily Post is alive and well and about 10 years older than they are. Not quite the truth, but hey. it's, how it, it's what people think. This question begins, and I do love this question. We recently went to the theater to see a lively and popular musical. It was a special occasion and a real treat for us. The tickets were a fortune and not something we could usually afford. The couple sitting directly behind us started the evening by telling each other in very loud voices the story of the show we were about to see and how they had seen it before and how brilliant it was. So far, so irritating. As soon as the show started, they started to sing at the top of their lungs. And they were not great singers, nor did they actually know the words. We could feel the atmosphere around us drop, but no one said anything. At the interval, or the intermission... Someone did ask very politely for them to keep it down, but all that resulted in was a loud discussion about how people were no fun and they were only having a good time, etc., etc. I put up with this for about 20 minutes, and then to my shame, 
I have to admit to turning round and saying, I did not pay to hear you sing. Would you shut up, please? There was a frosty silence and then they started up again. No one else said a word. It spoiled our evening and I'm still not sure if I'm proud of myself for speaking up or ashamed that I did. What is the etiquette for dealing with behavior like this? Sincerely, Kim. P.S. The man concerned was Man Mountain. He's enormous and I was a five foot two female. So I'm guessing by that she mm-hmm. wanted to include that she actually did feel intimidated by the person behind her. Kim, I, I want to start my answer to you by just saying how much I sympathize with the difficult situation that, that you found yourself in. And um, I also want to thank you for making an effort to go out to the theater, to see a show and to support the arts because it's so important. And it's so important that people continue to do it. And I want people to have a good time when it's they're so out at the special. theater. It really is. It's a special thing to see a show, a live show with other people and Hopefully, part of that experience that, that makes it so special is that you're sharing that with other people, that there's In a the live audience, audience yeah. and there's a, a real energy that forms but between that crowd that and with the performers. Telling you the plot. Oh, and <laughs> we're so sorry that this happened to you. So and your family. good etiquette is based on being aware of the people around you. And crowds will oftentimes determine what's appropriate. Some concerts, everyone's standing up and dancing. Other concerts, everyone's sitting in their seat and listening quietly mm-hmm. and, and attentively. And it's not going to be the same everywhere you go. So it's important for all of us to pay attention to each other. And when you have some people that are, are such outliers are behaving so badly, their behavior starting to negatively impact the people around them. And this could be anything. The micro version is someone who's texting in the middle of a movie. Right. This is the macro version. Someone who's just singing along badly and out of tune without knowing the words at a show. Yeah. The, the the textbook answer is that you really don't have standing to address someone else's bad behavior, that when someone else's behavior is bad enough that it's, it's, it's negatively impacting others, you find someone who has standing to address it and you bring the problem to them. So in a movie, it's going to be a theater manager. Or Maybe at a show like this, it's an usher yeah. um, or a house manager, somebody who's uh, in the employ of the establishment that's yes. hosting the event, who has the authority to deal with the situation, to threaten to throw someone out if mm-hmm. they need to and to, to escalate the situation to talk to other authorities also if they need to. Um, that's your, your first best course of action. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. a little social pressure from the crowd can work to rein in bad behavior, to, to give those cues that, no, this isn't a stand up and dance concert. This is a sit down and listen concert. A couple of questioning glances or a finger to the lips in a shush motion without actually shushing someone but a just enough in, to bring their attention to the difference a, in their behavior a begging <laughs> facial expression please absolutely with My a little children smile are here. <laughs> please. i wish you could see lizzie's face right now um it sounds like the crowd already tried this. It sounds like some people around this couple have already addressed them. And, the, and the, the thing that stinks is that if the people who have tried it before, like the keep it down, that's actually fairly aggressive. And yeah. like it backfired. It made them just insult the person who, and... yeah, it made them get their back up instead. So now you're dealing with people who are on the defense immediately. Yep. And when you turned around, of course, you weren't going to get a good reaction. You were just showing them how mad you were and they were just going to keep their backs up no matter what. And of course, you know that probably the shut up 
is a little over the line. That, that if, it is even, over the that line, not a little, it is. <laughs> to say something, to choose to say something, yeah. to be part of that social pressure, you really um, the, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, and, and you uh, hold yourself beyond reproach by doing it well. You do. At this stage, it's gone too far. It's it past has. that. What I really think at this, the, the escalation for me is during this intermission, I'm going to talk to an usher. I'm going to be sure that they know about the situation, mm-hmm. know what's going on, are aware of it. If you've done that and they will not deal with it, that being the house, Mm-hmm. Or it's just impractical. They can't deal with it. You're sitting in the middle of a section. There's no way for uh, an attendant or usher to the hear what's are going quiet on. Once the once the usher comes, <laughs> oh, so they haven't observed any bad behavior. I hadn't even thought about it if they were that bad. At that stage, if you've talked to someone at the house, you can get up and leave. You can go and you can talk to someone in the box advice, office. It's and true. You can even talk to them about a refund, about why you're leaving, about the, the, the nature the of your experience. And there's a good chance that house is going to refund your money or make it possible for you to come to another show. A different show, yeah. Um, but we hope that that gives you some options as yeah. the situation escalates because I'm just, I'm just so sorry that you had to go through that. As I've mentioned before, you know, things like shows are a treat. You know, not everyone can afford to do things like this regularly. So let's keep it special. And I want to share two pieces of theater etiquette very briefly to wrap up this question. One, when you're coming going from your seat and other people are already seated, you... Face the performers as you come and go from your seat down so the you're, aisle. So you're butt to face, not waist to face. Sometimes people think, <laughs> no, I should give the person who I'm walking in front of my front. But actually, you keep your front facing the performers. That's the the okay. idea behind that one. And the second one is the three-block rule, that okay. you save your critique of the performance till you're three blocks from the theater. You just don't oh, know I'd never heard if that. the I person like that. sitting next to you is a mother or the person walking oh. behind you on the way out is a fiancé who thought that her partner just did beautifully that night. So you save your harshest critique. You save your artistic criticism for three blocks from the theater. Oh, I really like that. Kim, we hope that your next venture out to the theater is a much more positive one. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? As always, thank you to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember that we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, please feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on our show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, Dan would like us to call this our social studies segment. So we are dipping into a little bit about introductions. And Dan is going to take it away. Indeed. Let me introduce you, Dan. (laughs) Dan. Why, thank you. Um, All right, go for it. I, I thought I would start today's section. We, um, Lizzie and I wanted to, to take a turn and return to a traditional etiquette to talk about some of the details, some of the nuts and bolts of the form that we work in. In case you so, want to know what is sitting in front of Daniel Post setting at this very moment, it is the 1922 edition of I, Emily Post's Etiquette. I have cracked out a replica edition. of. Oh, the, it's a replica. <laughs> it, it is of the, the, the first edition of Etiquette published in 1922. And it was fun for me. I was saying, where am I going to find introductions in this? Am I going to need the index? 
no chapter one. <laughs> there is the introduction, <laughs> six. a small discourse on best society, and then introductions. This is how Emily starts her book. It's oftentimes how we start our seminars. If you think about how you initiate or begin a relationship, introductions are so important. They're a big part of that first impression. First impressions can make and break you. You never get a second chance to make a first impression, blah, blah, blah. We all know the cliches because they are true. <laughs> um, that's why we say them all the time. That's why they become cliches. So I'm going to let Emily begin our introduction. Her chapter two introduction starts the correct form. The word present is preferable on formal occasions to the word introduce. On formal occasions, neither word is expressed, though understood, as will be shown below. The correct formal introduction is, Mrs. Jones, may I present Mr. Smith? Or, Mr. Distinguished, may I present Mr. Young? The younger person is always presented to the older or more distinguished, but a gentleman is always presented to a lady, even though he is an old gentleman of great distinction and the lady a mere slip of a girl. That's how Emily begins her chapter on introductions. I, and I, she could really turn a phrase. Every once in a while, it's fun to, to pick up the old text and take a look at how Emily approached one of these things. And I think there are some clues for us here. I think a lot of people get confused about order of introduction. And that's what I want to talk about today, a hierarchy of order for introduction. So Emily alludes to two thoughts that you might have there, one having to do with age and another having to do with gender. I'm going to introduce two concepts that I think are more important. The first is that you want to honor the guest or the outsider in any particular situation. So if you're hosting someone in business, it's the client, it's the person who's visiting the organization, the country, the home from outside. If there isn't a visitor or a guest, you're going to respect organizational hierarchy. So you're going to uh, defer to the president over a senator. You're going to defer to a senator over a congressman. You're going you're gonna to observe uh, the organizational hierarchy and the hierarchy of the way you do an introduction. And you're going to start with the person that you want to honor. If those two things are are also equal or equivalent, then you're going to go from age and then all other things being equal, you might consider ladies first, the gender designation or distinction. So an example of that in today's world might look something like this. Mr. Client, I would like to present our senior vice president, Tom Smith, to you. Or, Mr. Guest, I would like to introduce our senior vice president, Tom Smith, to you. The to you is uh, at the end of the sentence. You're following Emily's uh, direction about who is presented or introduced to whom. Sometimes, more informally today, that to you will drift into the middle of the sentence and you'll hear something to the effect of, uh, Mr. Guest, I would like to introduce you to our senior partner, Tom Smith. That is um, less formal, less correct, but happens all the time. And the, the location of the to you in the sentence changes the direction of who's being introduced to whom. And this is a point of confusion for some people. I like to keep it really simple for our business clients and for our children's etiquette program. We always say just start with the person that you want to honor. Say the name first of the person that you most want to honor in a given situation. And use those four-point hierarchies. Start with the guest or the outsider. Start with the person who's senior in the organization. Start with the person who's older. Start with the lady. Say their name first. Then make your introduction. And whether you manage to get that to you at the end of the sentence, whether you leave it off completely, just leave it implied, or whether it starts to drift to the middle of the mm -hmm. introduction, you're going to be in good shape. <laughs> You've started with the person that you want to honor. 
pretty simple, actually. And we could break down. There are all kinds of shifting customs around how much of a title that you give in different situations and social situations. You don't include someone's title. In a business situation, you want to give everybody involved enough information so that they know who they're talking with and who they're dealing with. In uh, diplomatic situations, you want to go to the nth degree and be sure you include every honorific and title that you could possibly <laughs> come up with. <laughs> um don't let not knowing those particular things get in the way of making an introduction. My mother would say the single most important thing is that you make an effort to introduce people to each other. One of the biggest social mistakes that people make is in casual or informal situations where they're talking to one person, walking down the street with one person, just engage with one person. They see someone else they know. They start a conversation with that person without introducing those two people to each other. That would be the biggest mistake. That's the biggest mistake. It leaves someone feeling out and awkward. And a lot and of people wonder in those in those instances where you are you're with someone and you cross paths with someone else where where at, at what point does it become that you need to introduce someone and my guideline is if I say more than just hi if we actually stop mm-hmm. to chat and say how are you for a moment that's when I introduce the person that I am with to the person that I am talking to. If it's any interruption to what's already going on, if you're going to spend yep. any time with that third person, right. make the introduction and practice it. Get easy with it. Get comfortable with it. It doesn't need to be a big deal. Just so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Oh, yeah, we know each other. We see each other all the time. You've made the effort. You've included everyone. You've started to develop a social situation. The next time we talk introductions, because it might not be next time, we'll talk right. about what you do in that hairy predicament where you've forgotten someone's name. Oh, I love it. To Stay be tuned. continued. <laughs> Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. Every week we like to end our show on a positive note with an awesome etiquette salute. And I am going to call out our listeners. We have only had a few etiquette salutes come in from our listeners. And Dan and I would really like to hear more about the people in your lives that make your world a better place. Or companies or organizations that you are aware of that are out there doing the right thing. So please, we beg of you, send us your salutes. But... We do like to end our show on that positive note about someone or or some place, some organization that is making the world a nicer place. So, Dan, who have you got for us today? In the spirit of thinking about positivity, I would like to introduce uh, our audience and in the spirit of good introductions to Dr. Forney, Dr. P.M. Forney, who is a good friend of our Aunt Peggy's. And he has been in the civility and etiquette business for many, many years. He's an award-winning professor at Johns Hopkins University. Um, he really started his graduate work in the early 70s. He's been thinking about civility and social structures and customs ever since. And one of the things that we really like about his work is that he approaches it from the perspective of what good social skills, what good etiquette does for us, does for us as individuals and does for us collectively. And if I were to think about an academic who really – uh, holds down in the academic sphere the the type of thinking and the type of work that we really like to do at the Emily Post Institute. He is clearly on the forefront. Um, his civility initiative at Johns Hopkins is a model, model program. And I, I can't encourage you enough to check out his civility website hosted by Johns Hopkins and to learn more about Dr. P.M. Forney because um, he's a luminary in the field. And if you care about this podcast and you care about people being good to each other, um, his, his work is really foundational and has helped me (laughs) develop my understanding. 
So thank you, Dr. Forney. We really appreciate your work and uh, hope to continue a, a long relationship with you into the future. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. As always, we want to thank you for listening, whether you're on your commute, doing your dishes, taking a break from work, or doing your workout. We love that you choose to spend some of your day with us, and we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. And that's not where it ends, because we really need your help to keep this show happening. Please send us your questions, and especially your etiquette salutes, as well as your suggestions for the Awesome Etiquette podcast to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. And remember, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes, and we would love it if you would leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. As always, our theme music was composed and performed by the wonderful Bob Wagner.